by now, whether you know it or not, you're supposed to have the Christmas spirit, like full-blown, right? You're supposed to have it. It's, it's the law. Got the, do you have the Christmas spirit? You got it? You know, you, you, some, so some of us are looking for it. We're, we're wanting it. We should have it. We feel the pressure to have it because we need a little Christmas right this very minute. So there's a little, um, a little test that I found that to see if you've got the Christmas spirit. You can give your point, yourself one point for each of these to see if you've got the Christmas spirit. This is how you determine if you've got it. Are you ready? All right, so first of all, have you made holiday plans with family and friends? Like, I'd want to do that? Like, okay, not, I'm not going to make a lot of comments here. Okay. Have you read Christmas-themed books? You're keeping track of your points. Have you listened to Christmas music? Have you decorated both inside and outside your home? You see the red and black, green? Huh? You like that? Huh? I did that. Because I got the spirit, baby. Have you sent out Christmas cards? Have you uh, sung Christmas songs out loud? Have you made sure everything is clean and uncluttered? Are you kidding me? I'm going to subtract one there. Have you made a countdown list that everyone can see? Have you planned a creative Christmas meal? Have you made people laugh with Christmas puns? I don't even know where, What? I saw one. You put a, a sticker on the milk that says, Moory Christmas. Really? That's... Okay. Have you hung mistletoe? Have you donated your time and or money to those in need? And finally, have you smiled, smiled, smiled to anything and everything? Okay. So if you got... Between 11 and 13 points there, this is what they say, if I can find it. They say, you, have, you are full-blown, you've got the spirit. Congratulations. All right. Anybody? Okay. Well, kind of. If you have five to nine, anybody? You got a twinkling of the spirits, fan it into flame. If you got zero to four, you are bah humbug. <laughs> Welcome. So glad that you're, you're here. All right. So, Christmas spirit, you're supposed to have it. And it, I guess you define it as some kind of um, a state of mind. You know, there's a, some of your heart. There's a rightness about the world. There's a focus going on. The real meaning for Christmas. The reason for the season, maybe. Uh, you got a level of fullness, and there's joy in there, and there's a sense of good and excitement. You, how do you get it? Well, I don't know. It's, it's like love or the flu. You just know you got it, right? That's how it seems to work. There's a handful of ways that we kind of assume that you, if you can enter into the spirit of this season. Because, especially around church, they tell you that you're supposed to have the real spirit of Christmas. I mean, there's something wrong with you if you don't. And if you don't, then you find ways to enter into it. And some of us have done some of these things. So, so th- this is, there's a, a several ways by which you can enter into Christmas spirit. One is you can do it by festivitation. You create and participate in the festivities that evoke the Christmas spirit. 
And let's face it, the Old Testament is full of calls on people. They, they, they planned festivals. There were celebrations, commemorations all over the place. In, in Exodus twelve fourteen, it says, this is a day you're to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. I've taken that verse completely out of context. But it's, you know, there it was about the Exodus and the Passover. But, you know, I mean, hey. <laughs> and so, so you, th- there are sights and sounds and smells and symbols that you can enter into. Uh, you, you, there are cards and, and, um, and food and drink and, and music and stuff like that. So, it's, so, you, so you enter into it by the festivities about it. If you really want the Christmas spirit, you put up a bunch of lights. The Guinness Book of World Records was reset this year in, I believe that this was in Australia. Yes. By the Richards family, Canberra, Australia, who set the the record. It it was 350,000 Christmas lights. They put up 502,165 Christmas lights as a decoration on their home. They started the first weekend in October. It will cost them $2,500 this month for the electric bill. And their home can be seen from the International Space Station. I mean, they have got the spirit. There are parties where you go, where you dress funny. And we go caroling. I'm sorry, I I just consider caroling completely overrated. If... Caroling sounds like such a good idea, and then you get cold, and no one sings anyway, and you can't understand the words. And cows moo; they don't low. Why do we say they have to low at Christmas time? You know, and then we make up stuff about the Christmas story. You know, crying he makes. Like, where does it say that? With Christmas caroling, but but you know, that's that's it. And then there's the food. You know, there's the festivities of the food. We decide and we pretend that we like stuff that we don't eat the rest of the year. I don't like canned cranberry sauce. You can pull it out and make it look nice, and it looks appetizing, and I eat it, and it bites my tongue back. And fruitcake. I mean, really, when you bring your gift for me this Christmas, <laughs> could you spare the fruitcake? And doggone, I, as soon as I said that, now somebody's going to do it, aren't you? Yeah. Don't do it. But really, if you want, so, there, so you enter into the festivities, and you sit down, and you watch movies that you've seen 100,000 times. Like it's a wonderful life. And, and on the list of the best ones, to get the Christmas spirit. You want the Christmas spirit, you watch one or more of these. You watch 30, A Miracle on 34th Street. Or you sit down, I believe it was on last night, you can watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Or you can see Elf. <laughs> or be careful, you'll shoot your eye out, but you can watch A Christmas Story. You can watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Or you can watch the movie that has shown up on at least two lists that I saw of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, Die Hard. <laughs> the Hallmark Channel is, has introduced 11 new Christmas specials for this season alone. You can't live in this country and turn on your television without it just coming upon you. By festivitation, you get the Christmas spirit. Have you got it yet? If that nothing else works, you put up the Christmas tree. Because something magical happens when you put up the Christmas tree. And you get the Christmas spirit. With apologies to my cell group, because I told this story to a couple of them as we were serving this week. But it reminded me of this. 
our first year got, when we got married, we wanted the Christmas spirit on our little apartment. And so we said, we're going we're gonna to get a live tree. I'd never had a live tree in my life in New York City. You couldn't find them and or get, obtain them legally. We, had, we actually had the silver ones with those little things that you pushed it. Each branch had an individual little sheath you pulled out, and then you put them in. It was all silver. You turned a little light thing. It turned on it, and it changed colors, four different colors. That's what I grew up with. So we were going to get a live tree, and we went out and picked this tree, and it was awesome. And we carry it, and we put it in the stand, and we decorate it up, and we say, this is it. We got the Christmas spirit. Oh, man, it was beautiful. And then, but we, we, we knew that we were going to be leaving because it was our first Christmas, and we had to decide which family do we go to each Christmas. We alternate in Christmas, Thanksgiving, got to get it all straight. We're going to be somewhere else for Christmas. So, so we left the tree, and we were gone for about a week. And something happened in that time. Now, you're supposed to put water in a tree, they say, and I always thought that was kind of dumb because you've already cut the tree, and now I found out why. Because I guess the water actually does help the tree to not die so quickly. Well, the water dried up while we were gone, and the tree did this thing where it decided as it died that it was going to lower its branches and have rigor mortis set in. And so about a week later, we went to take the tree out of our apartment, and we found that the tree, the girth of the tree had grown by about two times since we had taken it in the door. The, tree, the tree's branches were, were just, they were like rock. And the needles were very, very sharp and angry. <laughs> and we tried to get that tree out of our front door of our little apartment. And it would not go. And stuff is falling over all the place. And, we're, and I'm holding on to the tree and it's biting me. It's, and and, I, and I, I try, we tried at least a half an hour to get that tree out the door, and we could not get the tree out the door. So we only had one of a couple options. One option was, we will make the spirit of Christmas last all year long. <laughs> or, it was time to kamikaze. And I got, and I, I, I wish I could say I'm exaggerating this, but you can ask my wife, this is how it went. I took that tree... I got in the middle of it with the branches all around me poking me. I stood back to the end of the, of the, of the big room. It was a, we opened the door, and I ran screaming like a banshee toward the door and ran that tree. And when that tree hit that door frame, a minor explosion occurred. I mean, branches broke and needles flew, and I was porcupinish. There were needles there was not there were more needles off the tree than on the tree by the time we got out the door for the next several months we were finding needles like in our underwear drawer we it was it would defy physics and we made up our mind from that moment on we will never own a live tree ever again bah humbug the, the, the spirit is not worth it. But if you can successfully participate in the festivities of this season, perhaps something will happen to you. Perhaps a sense of wonder and joy and fun and celebration will come over you. And your life will be enriched. And you will say, I now have the Christmas spirit. Do you have it? There's another way we try to 
we, we make it happen. We get the Christmas spirit by gift divination. Generosity, blessing others. Because, after all, the wise men, sometime around the birth of Christ, it might have been two years later, but that's immaterial, they came and what did they do? They gave gifts, and so we gave gifts. And, of course, we remember the words of Jesus in Acts 20, 35, where it says, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I have taken that verse completely out of context for you. You guys okay? But we say, well, no, that's, that's the spirit of it. Of course, our, we took that verse and we said, we, it is better to give so that you may receive. That worked a little better in, in, in my world growing up. But so we think, okay, you know what? It's a, it's a season for giving. Sounds very noble. Sounds right. I'm going to give. And so we give to charities and we volunteer and we and I can't tell you how devastated I was to hear that the guys who ring the bells by the little red buckets get paid to do that. Did you know that? Sorry. Did I pop a bubble? Wait, wait, wait. It's a season for giving. You're not supposed to do that. But we find ways to serve and we find ways to give. And then, of course, there's the merch. There's the actual stuff that we get and buy for each other. And this year, $235 billion will be spent in this country. Averaging about $750 to $800 for every man, woman, and child who is a U.S. citizen. And there's pressure about that, right? There's pressure on both ends. There's the pressure to get the right thing. Like the right size and the right shape and the right brand. You've got to get the right color, the right quantity and then there's the pressure of what of how you're supposed to react when something's given to you we had this habit when i was opening presents as a kid that we'd get something and it would be something that was like no one asked for no one and it would be and the question always came from my mother she'd look and she'd say do you love it now what are you supposed to say at that moment if you lie then you're in trouble with God. If you say anything other than you love it, you're in trouble with mom. And I'm not sure at that moment which one I, is worse. But there's this magic that happens when we give the right gift and when we, that moment comes when the wonder of the kid's eyes opens up. I was going to recapture that moment once a few years ago. Because we had a store by us where my wife went regularly where they go and, and she does stuff for like clear memories-y type of things and she would cut paper up and they had all these little die-cut machine things in there and that store closed. She was devastated. She said we need to move because that store was no longer closed. Now, I'm the one who never pays attention to what she says she likes. She always says, oh, you mentioned that thing in April that you liked. I, I got, I, really? I don't remember mentioning it. I don't do that. I'm just selfish. I'm just thinking about myself. And I had a moment of glory where I noticed something, and I acted on it. I thought, she says she likes that. She can't do it anymore. Maybe I could do something about that. And so I went and researched. I entered a world that was completely foreign to me. 
craft world. Who knew that there are thousands of you out there who know very specific things about how crafty things work and what you get, the meticulous little machines you can get to produce little cool things. And I actually went and researched and called. I said, if I were to get one of these, like a home unit. Oh, yeah, it's called a cricket. Yeah. Some of you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You can get the ducks model. And it's got all these little forms and shapes. So you do this kind of stuff. And I researched and I looked for it. And I found one. And I ordered it online. And I had it shipped to my sister-in-law's house. I mean, this was, I'm working it. This is good. This is going to be good. It was there. By the end of November, we had it. And it was safe. I was ready. I was going to be a hero. Couldn't wait for the... And the spirit of Christmas was going to just sweep over my family. And then one day in early December, my wife says, hey, you know, I I was thinking, I saw this thing that you can get. It's called a cricket. I said, well, that sounds stupid. (laughs) Oh, no, no, it really, it does just about all the stuff I used to do in the store. I could do it myself, huh? I bet they are whoa, way too expensive. Whoa, no, I've been looking. I've, I've been lo- even looking. I'm kidding you not. This happened. I'm, I'm not exaggerating this. We're watching. We're flipping through the stations to get to the news. And in one of those like point two stations where they got infomercials, we flip, flip through. And in the two seconds we flip through, there's an infomercial for this machine on. And I go, and I'm flat. She goes, wait, 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 what was that? I was, I'm not sure. I think that was brewing beer at home. I don't think that was had anything to do with you. She made me go back and we're looking. She goes, look, they didn't sell we sit down. It's about, it's just about this time of year. She comes in into the little home office I got. She says, "I found one. Can you go to eBay? Look, here's one that's cheaper. There it is. Yeah, I see that." She says, "Look, it's only got like five minutes left to bid on it. I want to put in a bid." I said, "Oh, I'm sure. You know what happens with those things? You know, in the last five minutes, it escalates in price. You're, it's going to be. I just want to do. Would you do it for me? I, I, um." Because I'm the one who has the account. I, I can sign. I'm trying to go slow. Whoops, misspelled my name. Whoops, mis- I can't remember my password. Whoops. It's two minutes to go. She goes, look, it's the right price. It's ready. Let's do it. She, she goes, I, I say, are you? And I've thought, I've, I've exhausted my excuses. I've exhausted my resources. I go, are you sure you want this? Are you really sure you want this? She goes, I'm absolutely sure I want to do it again. I turn to her and I go, Merry Christmas. She looks at me said, you broke the rule. You don't buy stuff for yourself in December. Spirit, gone. Out of the room, whoosh. And now, she gives me the list, tells me what she wants, tells me where it is, when it's on sale, what the price is. My job is to wrap, which I'm really bad at anyway. If you do that right, though, we believe, don't we? If you do it right, the gift part of of Christmas, there's a thrill that comes, even in the giving of it. And we call that the spirit of Christmas. That's what we hope happens. But if those don't happen, there's one other way you can get the Christmas spirit. And you, you, can, you can get it not just by festivitation, and maybe not through gift divination, but you can get the spirit by sentimentalization. You get that, you can get that sentimental feeling when you hear voices calling, "Let's be jolly." 
there's that rush warmth of Christmas in your heart. Yeah, that sounds better, doesn't it? Christmas in your heart. Because doesn't it say in the Christmas story, you know, that about peace, you know, good, good, glad tidings, even though that's out of context in most of the accounts. Yeah, you know, we, we, want, we, want the, the, we want that sense of home, I'll be home for Christmas, family and, and homecoming and, and traditions and we light candles, the fireplace is on and and, and we see the children's faces with, when they go to sleep and they're finally on Christmas Eve. And the wonder when they get up in the morning and there's this, there's this sense of innocence. That, yeah, that's it. The innocence that could be in the world. The innocence of a baby. We like the baby, Jesus. The six-pound, eight-ounce baby, Jesus. Simple and humble and sweet. And we say, come to Bethlehem and see. Because when we go to Bethlehem, there's a warmth that flows. And there's a hope that flows. And if you do that right, there's, you, get, you can have this wash over an emotional state of wonder and the hope of the Christ child. Now, as a result of all those pursuits, some of us in the room right now have felt like we are entered or we have entered into an element of the Christmas spirit. Some of us, let's face it, some of you are here and you're, you're sitting there with your arms crossed or at least inside. You're just kind of enduring this and heck, you go to church sometimes in December just because that's what you're supposed to do to pay homage but some of us have been pursuing that spirit, initiating steps to take it, and we say, this is my favorite time of the year. Do not mess it up for me. What if we had to reimagine what we mean when we talk about the spirit that's behind the advent of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ? How, what, what is the actual spirit behind it that is that we can share in. I want to invite you to a passage that talks about Christmas. But you don't know it. It's in Psalm 24. Got a Bible or a gadget to turn on? Psalm 24. The original spirit of the advent of the Messiah. There, there has been one but include some elements that we haven't talked about yet. Psalm 24 is a psalm of David. And sometimes some of the psalms are called messianic psalms. This one is sometimes put in that category, sometimes it's not. But it says, it speaks, it's not going to say a thing about Bethlehem in this passage. But it is going to talk about the coming of a king. And we're going to learn something from it. And if you look at uh, Psalm 24, verse 1, it says... the statement it makes about the God of the universe says the earth is Yahweh's and everything in it the world and all who live in it and he found for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters let's establish something right from the get-go the heavens and the earth have a king 
There is a king who rules over it. And the rest of the psalm is going to mention, in verse 7, you're going to see the king of glory mentioned. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. The king of glory wants to come in, verse 9 says. He is the Lord Almighty, verse 10 says. He's the king of glory. This, the original spirit about the advent of the Messiah was all about kingship. They weren't necessarily focused on an infant. They were focused on an entrance. An entrance of a rightful king, a presentation of a king. His kingship is at the forefront. And the place of the Psalms is huge in understanding, anticipating that coming. N.T. Wright is an author and scholar. He wrote a book called The Case for the Psalms. And this is part of what he wrote in that. In the Psalms, again and again, there are moments when the psalm celebrates the fact that God is sending somebody who's going to sort everything out. God is going to send a king, a king like David, a new David, who will come and sort everything out. He says that some of these crucial psalms are actually quite explicit about what this king will do. And the very first followers of Jesus plug into those psalms to say, we found it. This is who it is. The entrance of a king is front and center. I, I uh, was at a concert this weekend, and they finished with Handel's Messiah, Hallelujah Chorus. Brought chills to me. In Handel's Messiah, it quotes from the Psalms all the time, and also from the book of Isaiah, talking about this coming king. As a matter of fact, N.T. Wright writes about Handel, including that. He says, Handel quite rightly sets it within the context of nations that are going at it and raging, and, and particularly the arrogance of those nations saying, we don't care about God. As far as we're concerned, there may be no God. He's away doing something else, and we're going to run the world. And he said, if, if you lived in and the Roman Empire that Jesus entered into was established and at its height, and he said, you would hear of these things. The kings of the earth rise up and take counsel and say, we're the people. We're going to beat everybody else up. And in the middle of that story, he says, Israel's God says, here is my king. You are my son. This day I have begotten you. And it's a shockwave through the system. The nations are reduced to silence before this baby king. So, he says, the Christmas message is still a message about the God who really does run the world. Calling the rulers to account, saying, actually, Jesus is the one around whom the cosmos revolves. And you better get your act together with him. This psalm starts with that, that there is a king. And that king is coming to set things right. Do you know that every time a new king was born in Israel, every time they would, make, they would have celebrations and they would look at that king and say, maybe this is the one. There were songs that were sung to declare, perhaps this is the one. What is the one? Not just the one who's nice to people, not just the one who allows us to give things to each other, the one who is going to come and set things right. The one who is the king, the rightful king. It's, re, it's reflected throughout Jesus' life it, it, when he's born, but also it is at his, toward his death, at the triumphal entry. Matthew 21 quotes, quotes Zechariah 9 when it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you. Gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That is triumphal entry. But all through his life, the focus was on a royal birth. There was a royal birth of summer. 
some of us paid attention to that. The crowds out in London were enormous and huge. And when he was finally presented, the king, the future king of the empire, was presented by his parents. And there he was. Okay, that's a Photoshop. They presented his name. Everybody's asking, what is the name of the king? And his official name is His Royal Highness, Prince George Alexander, Louis of Cambridge. The whole nation celebrated. And I saw it and thought, that's kind of weird. Because he doesn't really have any political power. All he's going to do is learn how to ride a horse and hit stuff. But you know what the main reason was? He's not my king. He can say he's a king, but he's not my king. To be honest, I don't care. The kingship of the Son of God is the one who came in to say, it doesn't matter what country you're in, it doesn't matter what era you're in, it doesn't matter what language you speak, here is your king. God himself says this is my son. Today I have begotten you. I have presented you. The spirit rises from de- declaring this is my king. Part of the reason I got chills the other night hearing the hallelujah chorus is because rightly the whole, it, it, even in our culture even with all the politically correct stuff and they're singing about snow and other stuff that I didn't even understand at the end of that concert in a public high school they break into the hallelujah chorus And whether they understand why or not, the whole crowd stands because that's the tradition. When I stood, I heard being stated, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's not the baby that gave the spirit of Christmas. It's the king. But as soon as that happens, we have part of the spirit of the advent was what follows next in Psalm 24. And it's the fact that there's, there's a recognition that there's a gap between him and us that gets bridged. Because verse 3 of Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Here's who can do it. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Or swear by fa- what is false. There's a gap between the, per- the impurity of earth and heaven. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Now there's this, the the Jewish nation understood something about heaven and earth. They understood heaven as a place that seemed far away and earth as a place that we inhabit. But in the Jewish mind, heaven and earth intersected. And they come together and they meet in one place. That place is the temple. So they believed that when they, they gathered in the temple, when they worshiped in the temple, when they sang in the temple, that that space on earth actually was part of heaven. They were entering into heaven in that particular spot. When Jesus comes, he calls himself the temple, who then says he's bringing the temple to permeate the earth with it. So that under his authority, heaven and earth come together. The king would unite and extend and merge earth and its rulership with heaven and its rulership. It's why Jesus said things like, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That it's one kingdom brought under its rightful king. In order to do that, the impurity of the earth had to be addressed. Had to be solved. And it was done so because this king was not just a ruling king. He came as a redeeming king. Verse 5 again says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and he will receive vindication from God, his Savior. He will receive a purification that will set him right that will reduce the gap between earth and heaven. It's why Ephesians 2 kind of refers to it. It says, now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. This is not peace so that men on earth are not fighting with each other. This is peace between a sinful world that needs restored and a holy God who wants to restore it. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And then he goes on to say one other thing that is true about the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas is recognizing a king. It's recognizing a gap that gets bridged by that king. And it also opens a gate that invites him to get close and personal. Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. This is referring to the gates of the city, perhaps even the, the doors of the temple. So that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? He's Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, who's mighty in battle. But lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, O you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. There's something very personal and intimate that's invited there. It is not just somebody to come over, come over and take leadership of the country. It's somebody to open the door and invite them to come closer. Who is it that's coming closer? It is the King of glory, the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Historically, Jerusalem's gates represented something for them. It re represented protection and a fortress that was impenetrable, they hoped, against enemies, outside forces. They were autonomous. They didn't want the nations around them telling them what to do. When a foreign military power would come toward those gates, as it was in all of the, the world, the way that they would gain control is to enter into the gates of the city. They would try to, uh, to knock those gates down. They would try to burn the gates. They would bust through the gates. They would battering ram into them. And when they penetrated into the heart of the city, they then took control of what was going on in there. Those, those gates represented something that said, I am independent, and the world can go on outside this, but I'm going to stand in my own way because I, we, are, we rule ourselves here. So when this passage says, open the gates, it is a powerful statement to somebody who says, wait, 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 if we open the gates, it's not just that another king is involved in our world, it's that that king comes in and becomes close. Symbolically, that statement meant, let the king come in personally, intimately. Let his rulership take over not just the world and the cosmos. Let it be the ruler of where I live, how I live. Let God dwell among us. That's what the prophet said would happen. The prophet said that the king would come and, and the king God himself would come and these people will be my people. And God will dwell among us. And that's why when Jesus is described in Matthew 1, it quotes Isaiah and says, the virgin will be son, uh, with, with child, give birth to a son, and they're going to call him something. 
Emmanuel, which means God, but he's close. God intimate, God ruling this, God with us, all the way in, full access. It involves surrender. If we reimagine what the Christmas spirit is today, it can't be reimagined according to what God says without this element being true. That the king of all glory, the king who, who set himself on a path to enter the world, the king who presented himself as the ruler of all nations, is not just the ruler of those. The gates open up. The spirit of, of Christmas happens when you open up the hard shell of who you are and say, you're my king. My gates are open to you. You are my leader. You're director of my life. I will follow you not just in a season of the year and not just when lights are twinkling or songs are being sung. I will follow you because you are and will be my king. Do you have the Christmas spirit today? There are festivities going on all around you. You can enter into them if you like. It's great. There are gifts being bought and exchanged, and I hope you get what you want. There's lots of opportunities for sentimental types of uh, environments to be in. And I hope you're home for Christmas. But do you have the Christmas spirit? Because that spirit is the one that recognizes the kingship of the Lord Most High. The, that understands the gap that exists between us and how he bridges the gap by what his son did to pay for our sins on the cross. And then the spirit that opens up the gate and says, I'm not going to just celebrate you from a distance. I'm not just going to observe you and recognize you as a distant king. I'm going to live with an invitation for you to come in and be the Lord God over my life. That's the spirit of Christmas. Do you have it? Let's pray.